turn with me please to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 uh, in the Bible. And we're going to begin looking in verse number 5 this morning. And take a few moments here. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 5, the Bible says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Lord, help us to discern Your Word. And Lord, I pray that we might be more formed into the image of Jesus because of this time together. For this we pray and ask in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. I want to bring you a message this morning entitled, Enlightening Truth for a darkened world. I think it's important for us to understand that in this passage that we're dealing with, that the Apostle Paul established the church in Thessalonica during a very short period of time. The book of Acts declares for us that Paul was only among them for three Sabbath days. And so, the indication by most uh, biblical commentators is that Paul spent less than four weeks in Thessalonica. Most believe it was about three and a half weeks. And in that period of time, there was a church that was formed of new converts. And they listened to him teach almost day and night during that period of time, having come to faith in the Lord and, are now, and were now uh, uh, being formed into a church and and uh, the Apostle Paul, during that period of time, not only taught them about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and taught them uh, many things about the Christian life, but he taught them about things that were to come. He began to teach them about uh, the coming rapture of the church and the, and the tribulation period that would come upon the earth after the rapture of the church. And so... One of the occasions for the writing of this first epistle to the church in Thessalonica was the fact that Paul had received a report from the believers there that they believed that somehow the day of the Lord had come upon them and that they were living during this period called the tribulation period because they had fallen under extreme persecution. And so Paul, among other things, begins 
it begins to write to them to express to them what the Bible would teach and what uh, doctrine would appoint for them to know about the things that were to come and that they were not living during the tribulation period. And he began to specifically give them some information about that that's spoken of later in this book and more specifically a, a synopsis of end time events in his second epistle to this church especially in chapter 2. And so, understanding that they were living in a very difficult day because of persecution, they were living during the time of the, Ciro, of the Caesar Nero, who was a butcher of a man who threw Christians to the lions and who uh, skewered them on stakes and dipped them in pitch and lit their bodies on fire to light the road leading to Rome with the bodies of burning believers. He often would burn them at the stake and would torture them. And throughout the earth, wherever they went, they were scattered abroad because of persecution. It was uh, certain that many of them uh, were in perils of losing their life and of being in prison. And so we understand why they believe that given the darkness of the day in which they were living, they they somehow thought themselves to be during a, living during a time of great tribulation. Just as they were living in a time of spiritual wickedness and darkness, so today we find ourselves in a similar situation. Though none of us perhaps are in fear of losing our lives because of persecution today, perhaps we are not going to go home and worry about whether or not someone is going to take our home from us or We'll lose our job on Monday morning simply because we are a Christian, like they did. But let me say this, we're living in a dark day. There, it seems like hundreds of fires, there are over 260 fires raging in the western United States right now, and it's consumed over 3 million acres of land, a landmass the size of the state of Rhode Island and Delaware put together. A huge area of land is speculated that many of the fires burning in the Pacific Northwest have been started by uh, the rioters that have moved from the cities trying to uh, wage some sort of a, a warfare against our government and deplete its resources and, and thin out uh, those first responders. And perhaps that may be the case, although it's so difficult for me to imagine somebody hazarding so many people's lives and property uh, to try to prove some kind of a political point. But that is the day in which we're living. We're living in a time of a global pandemic where our world has been turned upside down. And it was reported in the news just today that France and Italy have seen another spike in deaths and in COVID cases. And, and we're praying that it doesn't make its way back to our shores so that uh, we have to go back under the stricter uh, restrictions once again. We're in a severe storm season in the Gulf states and on the uh, South Atlantic coast and, and even having come through a recent hurricane that struck our shores now under hurricane watch again in the Gulf states. We find that we're in a time of political unrest and uh, never has there been a time in our country since the war between the states when we have been so divided. Never has there been a time where iniquity has been 
uh, more blatant than it is today in our nation. Homosexuality and transgenderism and same-sex marriages. And, and I think many of you are aware of the, of the Netflix series that came out that is uh, somehow sexualizing young girls the ages of 10 and 11. And, and uh, it's abhorrent and really it's illegal. And yet somehow it's being celebrated by people who are lifting up the First Amendment as the right to, to do these things. And, and we look at that and we say, we're living in an evil day. And what the Apostle was telling the church in Thessalonica was this, in the midst of the darkness that you are living in, Shine the light of the glorious gospel. And as that message was given to them, that is the message for us today. In the midst of the darkened day in which we live spiritually and morally and politically and all the other different ways of looking at our culture, we must be the light of the world and shine the light of the gospel in this dark and evil day. As we consider that charge, I want you to notice Paul writes in verse 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you, for your sake. We notice, first of all, the power of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. My friend, the word gospel means good news, and the good news is that Jesus loves you. I, I, do you think that's good news? I think it's wonderful news, and He wants to spend forever in heaven with you. Isn't that great news? There's only one way that that can ever be accomplished, and that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. What are we being saved from? Well, we're being saved from the penalty of sin, suffering forever in a place called hell. And let me say to you that we notice here in this passage the preaching of the gospel. For he said, our gospel came to you not in word only. So the indication here is that the word of the Lord was given. They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't just sit around shining their halos and wait for a group of people to beat a pathway to their door and say, what must I do to be saved? No, they went to every place that they could possibly go and they preached the gospel to every possible person that would listen. We support the Army Gisalva, our Army Gisalva Foundation in Cebu City in the Philippines. The reason why we do that is because it is helping to buy rice for a saturation evangelism team. And they have a number of saturation evangelism teams that are comprised of a group of people that go on a truck. They'll drive that truck. The evangelistic team will ride in the back on benches. They'll drive that truck onto a ferry. That ferry will take them to an island somewhere. They'll drive that truck onto that island, and they will not leave the island until every single person on that island has had the opportunity to hear the gospel at least one time. So what they do is six days a week, 10 to 12 hours per day, for just a 
few dollars in compensation a day is they go and they go to every park. They go to every shopping area. They go to every open air market. They go to every jail and every prison. They go to every hospital. They go to every office building, to every government building, to every farm, to every group of workers, to every road crew, and every person that will sit still that they can talk to, they share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. They don't just walk by and hope that someone will say, hey, what are you doing? No, they go and they tell them, we're here bringing good news to everybody on the island. They say, man, I could use a little of that. What is it? Well, the good news is this, that Jesus loves you and he wants to spend forever uh, in heaven with you. And here's how you can know that heaven is yours. And they begin to share the good news of the gospel. But notice not only the preaching of the gospel, but the power of the gospel, which came by the Holy Spirit of God. Folks, listen. The reason why I come down to the church early on Sunday mornings isn't because I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to preach. What I come down here early for is to prepare my spirit and to pray for God to endue me with His power to declare His truth. There, there are a few other reasons, but primarily it's that I might be prepared in my spirit to communicate God's truth to His people in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I pray for God by His Spirit to infill me, to speak through me, that His words would be the words that I speak and not my own opinions or ideas. Because listen, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit of God coming down, nothing of any consequence is going to happen. I think all of us have been to churches where they have great teaching ministries. And where a teacher stands up and he teaches the Word of God, but nobody ever gets saved. Nobody's life ever seems to be so transformed. I've been in a lot of churches and sat under a lot of ministries where there were a lot of great teachers. And I come to the end of the hour and you know what? I feel a lot smarter, but I don't feel an inch closer to God. I feel like I learned something that perhaps I did not know, but I'll tell you what. I don't have any more of a passion to win people to Jesus Christ than what I came to church with. It's a strange thing to me. I've been to churches where a pastor will get up and preach the gospel and give an invitation and nothing happens. The room is just as dead as a hammer. So we close in prayer and everybody goes home. And then I've been in churches where a pastor gets up and preaches the exact same sermon out of the same text and gives an invitation and Man, it's like heaven comes down and glory fills the place. People begin coming down the aisle and trusting Christ as Savior. What's the difference? Well, they both said the same thing. It was in a church. They both asked people to be saved. But in one place, the power of God was on full display. Why? Because the fullness of the Spirit <coughs> was there. On <coughs> people had prayed. That preacher prayed to have the endowment of the power of God upon his life. Let me say, <coughs> not only that, we notice that those gospel witnesses lived life in purity. They lived out the gospel. He said, you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. You know what? The power of the, uh, of the Holy One is not going to come down to the life of a preacher that's not living for Christ. Did you know that? And so... He said, you know what manner of men we were among you uh, for your sake. And then 
not only do we notice the power of the gospel, we notice the pattern of the gospel, the pattern of the gospel. The Bible says in verse 6, Ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. As I studied that word in samples, it's not just the old English word for example. It literally means pattern, a pattern. In other words, a person could look at their testimony in their life and have a pretty good idea of how they should live. And it's not that we're just deciding, I'm going to I want to be like Pastor Pack, or I want to be like Brother John, or I want to uh, be like Brother Dustin. No, it's I want to be like Jesus. But as I look at others who are living the life of Christ, I have a better idea of what that might look like. doesn't mean I want to be them, but I can emulate the lives of men who have walked in His steps, in Christ's steps. So what we see is that the Thessalonians were followers of God and of the Apostle, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. So, I want you to understand this, all right? If you can imagine this, the disciples followed Jesus, right? They followed in His steps. At the time of Pentecost, right, those apostles were preaching and teaching, and that early church in Jerusalem, they did what the apostles did, the pillars of the church, who did what Jesus did. So who are they really following? They were following Jesus. These were His ambassadors. So they saw what Jesus did. They began to live out the life of Jesus. Those early converts in Jerusalem did what those apostles did. And then the church in Antioch saw what the believers in Jerusalem were doing, and they did it. And the apostle Paul came out of the church in Antioch, and he went to the Gentile world believers, and they saw what Paul did, and they did what what they saw Paul do, and the Macedonians saw what Paul did, and they began to go into, or the Thessalonians did, they went to Macedonia and Achaia, and they began to do what they saw the Macedonians do, and they were all following Jesus, they were following in His steps. Tuesday night, we had a man on our Bible study uh, with tears give testimony that he was so pleased that his sons were starting to follow in His steps, having a desire to serve the Lord, and we all rejoiced with him. But I'm telling you, I don't want my children to follow in my steps. I want them to follow in the steps of the Savior. I want them to be like Jesus, not like Daddy. I want them not to do what I do, but to do better than what I have done. Because God knows I've made mistakes along the way. And God knows that there are things in my life that I look back over and I'm not proud of. And I want my children not to repeat those things. I want them to avoid the pitfalls of Daddy. I want them to walk more honorably, more uprightly than they've seen Daddy do. And folks, the pattern of the gospel is following in the footsteps of Jesus, whose sole purpose in coming to this earth is to save sinners. You see... The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. These people were filled with the Holy Ghost because they received the word in much affliction. They were under persecution. But how? With the joy of the Holy Ghost. How in the world could they maintain the joy of the Lord? It's because they had the fullness of the Holy Spirit 
of God upon their life, and they were walking in His footsteps. And so they were faithful to model the gospel of Jesus, faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus. And you know what we're doing through our missions program? We're supporting missionaries that are going to go to places like Papua New Guinea and to uh, places like South Africa where the black whales are serving. And they're going to go to places like Chile where the Reinhardts are serving. And they're going to go to places like China where the linguists are serving. And they're going to go to places like Hong Kong where uh, Brother Honeycutt is serving. They're going to go to places like the Philippines, where the Motzingers are serving. And they're going to go to places like Mexico, where the Johnsons are serving. And they're going to go all over the world. They're going to go to where the Maglisangs are serving in India. And they're going to go uh, to where the Inventor family is serving in Laos and uh, in Cambodia and Thailand. They're going to go where... uh, the Chirmu family is serving in Thailand, our missionaries. And what, what I'm saying is this, you know what they're doing? They're doing there what we're doing here. They're following the pattern of declaring the gospel, establishing local churches. Thank the Lord for it. But we notice not only the power of the gospel and the, the pattern of the gospel, but we see the preaching of the gospel. The Bible says in verse number 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. They purposed in their hearts that they would obey God, simply trusting God and obeying His command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. They preached the word of the Lord. Recently, in our Tuesday night men's Bible study, we were in Uh, chapter 15, we just are concluding chapter 15, and we notice there that the Apostle Paul's desire was not to preach the Word of God where it had ever been preached before. He wanted to break new ground. He didn't want to go where others had heard it. He wanted to find those who had never heard the gospel before. He didn't want to go where it was easy and the the ground had already been tilled. He wanted to go and give the gospel to those that have never one time had the opportunity to do it. Sometimes we'll go out on visitation, and it's kind of amusing. I, I wonder what, uh, what uh, the Lord thinks sometimes about, we'll get in the car and we'll drive, uh, we'll drive 15 minutes across town to pay a visit to someone. I think we need to do that. But we'll drive past 100,000 people to get to one person who's rejected the gospel 20 times. While we pass 100,000 people that have never one time had a clear-cut presentation of the gospel. You know, this church preached the gospel to everybody. It was a plenary outreach. No one was left out. It says, in every place, so that we need not to speak anything. Everywhere Paul went in the regions that were touched by the, the Thessalonian believers, he said, they'd already heard it. They'd already had the opportunity to be saved. They preached it to everyone. No one was left out. Folks, that's the reason why I'm so passionate right now about preparing our children's ministry for Sunday school. You know why? I don't know if you've ever seen the statistics on at what ages people are more inclined to get saved. But did you know that the older people get, the more difficult it is to reach them? 
You aware of that? The younger they are, the more they are willing to trust what and just believe what God said. And with every passing year of life, it becomes more and more difficult to reach people with the gospel. And right now, I don't want children to be left behind. They haven't been in Sunday school since March 15th. Folks, that's a long time. Do you understand? And these children need the Lord. We, we're trying to keep up with these bus kids. Miss Rachel took Tim and Phoebe out with her yesterday, and Becky's been keeping up with it. She, she was uh, uh, at a bridal shower yesterday, and, and so they went out w- uh, without her. But you know what? Since March 15th, until now, I'll bet at least one-third of all the kids that come, come to church on the bus have moved. They moved. In many cases, we have no idea where they've moved to. We have no way of getting in touch with them. You know, folks, if those kids didn't get saved before COVID-19, as they grow older, the chances of them receiving Christ grow smaller. We can't leave anybody behind. You know, we're living in a time where people are saying black lives matter. And you know what? Every one of you in this room believe that black lives matter. Don't you? And so do all lives matter to God. They all matter to us. And you know what? I, I, I know there are some folks who believe black lives matter and they're, they're trying to prove by doing something, prove that, that they're not a racist and that they believe that everybody's life matters. You know, the best way I can think for a Christian to prove that black lives matter and that all lives matter is to carry the gospel to them. Tell them how to be saved. I think the best thing you can do is is not pay reparations, but give the gospel. I, I think the best thing you can do is not grovel and somehow apologize for what people that lived before you that you never knew did. But tell them that Jesus loves them and so do you. And tell them how to be saved. You know, folks, there's things that we can do that will make a forever difference. I, I, I mean, I could go out and try to do some act of kindness to some, somebody that thinks that I don't care about them just simply because of the color of their skin or mine. And in the end, you know what? It may or may not make any difference for them. But if I give them the gospel and they receive it, I have made a forever, an eternal difference in someone's life because I cared enough to tell them how that they can be saved. I want you to notice not only the preaching of the gospel, but the purity of the gospel. The purity of the gospel. The Bible reveals here in verse 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And then the Bible reveals to us here that this pattern of ministry was repeated. You see, the Bible tells us they themselves, meaning the converts in Macedonia and Achaia, okay, show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. So in other words, what Paul is saying is this, the new converts now that you've led to the Lord in Macedonia and Achaia are showing us, proving that what we did in you is now being replicated in them. The ministry that we had with you, you've now had with them. 
And we see that this pattern is following. You see, the only way that we're ever going to reach this world for, for Jesus' sake is if everybody gets involved. If, if I tell somebody, and they tell someone, and then that person tells someone, and then we all go out and do it again, the fact is, then exponentially, this world is being saved, rather than just one by one. And I believe that that's God's plan as we follow the pattern of ministry that we see here. But the gospel is something that is the power of God into salvation. The essence of the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It was all important, wasn't it? And it all speaks to the gospel and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which in conversion is to reprove us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And you, you see, you could take the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord and apply that to each aspect of what the Holy Spirit convicts us of. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrates the power of God unto salvation to offer us life apart from which, listen, there is no hope for any of us. You see, the hope of salvation is wrapped up in the empty tomb. The, the fact that Jesus proved who He is and demonstrated His power. Of course, our forgiveness is purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary, but we must be confident in knowing that what Jesus did on the cross for us and when He was buried and rose again is sufficient completely to save us. Because when Jesus died on the cross, He said, It is finished. <coughs> what He meant was there's nothing more that needs to be done. He finished the work necessary for our salvation. The problem is, people try to add to that. <coughs> That's what happened in Galatia, did you know? There were moralizers that came in, the, the Jews, the Judaizers that came in and tried to constrain people who took Christ uh, as their Savior by grace through faith and said, well, now you have to be circumcised and you have to observe dietary laws and you have to keep feast days and, and honor the Sabbath and all of these things. And they began to add something to the finished work that Jesus did, though they were Gentiles. And what they were saying is, okay, here's what Jesus did, here's what you have to do. And folks, if you add anything to the gospel, it's no longer pure. It's not the pure gospel. That's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, that though I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that you have received, let him be accursed. That means go to hell. And folks, I'm just telling you, that's how important it is to maintain the purity of the gospel. And people get askew in verse number 9 because they want to preach a doctrine that says you have to repent of all of your sins in order to be saved. And sometimes they phrase it so uh, such that people think, well, I, I, I've got to clean up my act before, before I can be saved. I, I've got to turn away from every sin in my life in order for me to be saved. And I've talked to people, I've talked to pastors by the hundreds about this. Some of them have some strange ideas. I, they say you have to repent of all your sins to be saved. And I ask them, what do you mean by that? Well, you have to turn from your sin. Okay, so I've got to stop sinning altogether? Well, that's not exactly what I mean. Well, what do you mean? Well, you've got to turn from all your sin. How do I do that? Well, just for a minute, you have to turn from your sin and believe in Jesus. And, and, I, and I say, can you show me a verse where the Bible says, just quit sinning for a minute? I, I haven't been able to find that one. You know, I've read the Bible through from cover to cover, and I haven't found it yet. Have you? 
No, listen, that, people have strange ideas about what they think repent of all your sins means. You know what? Now, listen, I believe repentance is necessary for salvation. Don't get me wrong. It's, re, it's repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we see here. You know what it is? They turned to God. They turned away from their own way. And they turned to God. And do you know what the result was of them turning to God? They gave up their idols. They gave up their idolatry. You know, I've told folks this, and I like to quote this because I think it's, it's just sage biblical wisdom. My granddad used to tell me, Mark, asking an unsaved person to repent of all their sins is like asking a fence post to grow leaves. It's just not going to happen. You see, an unsaved person is dead in trespasses and sins. In many cases, they're sinning and they don't even know it. So they don't even know what they're turning away from if that's a requirement for salvation. And if he's unsaved, he's, he's dead. He's not quickened to whatever it is that he needs to do or turn away from. So asking an unsaved person who has no God consciousness, really, and, and, and ear to hear the things of the Lord and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God as much, to do all of these things as a precursor to salvation is like asking a dead fence post to grow leaves. It's not going to happen. And folks, God is a holy God. He would never say, just do it for a second. Just, just quit drinking that beer for a second and pray this prayer, and then you can finish it. Just quit smoking that cigarette for a second and finish praying this prayer, and then you can finish the package. No, it doesn't say that. You understand? It's, I'm forsaking my way, and I'm turning entirely to God in His way, and what follows that is a turning away from sin. It doesn't precede it. You can ne- the only candidate for salvation is a sinner. Because if you're not a sinner, then tell me why you need grace. Because grace is undeserved favor. It's only available to the undeserving. And if you think you have to do something to make yourself deserving of God's grace, you don't have the pure gospel anymore. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lastly, notice with me the patience of the gospel. For it says in verse 10, to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. There again we see the hope that we have because of the risen Lord. Because He has risen, we know that He's the firstborn from the dead. Guess what? He's coming back to raise you as well and all those who have died in Christ before us. Because He lives, we shall live also. There's the hope right there. And the fact is, that it gives us patience in the midst of the darkness. It gives us patience in the midst of the hardship like they were facing. These believers were waiting for Jesus. And while they were waiting, guess what they were doing? They were witnessing for Jesus. And we know that because they had trusted Christ, that these believers were withheld from wrath by this same Jesus. You see, it says, He delivered us 
from the wrath to come. We know that we're not going to go through the tribulation period. The Bible says it right here. He delivered us from the wrath to come. You say, how do you know that's what he's talking about? Because again, in this same book, chapter 5, verse 9, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saving us out of that, my friends. I don't have to worry about uh, getting beheaded or avoiding the, the mark of the beast because I'm not going to be here when they force it on, folks. Understand? We're getting close to that place. We're getting close to the time of the start of the tribulation. Man, what's happening in the Middle East right now? And, and uh, uh, look, people can say whatever they want to about the administration of this president, but what's happened in the Middle East is on the line of miraculous uh, with uh, the United Arab Emirates and, and uh, with uh, w- all the other countries that are in dialogues now to affect treaties and trade agreements with Israel, you see. And it's getting exciting, isn't it? Because you know what starts the tribulation period? It's not the rapture. It's a peace treaty with Israel. And you know what? All these little treaties are leading up to the big one. You know what I'm saying? And guess what? When the big one is signed, we're going to be watching it from heaven. Amen? You know, in the meantime, God calls us in a dark time to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus. I I told the folks in the earlier services that Cookie Johnson's one of the sweet members of our church. Many of you know Cookie. And her husband, LaCroix, was one of the most joyous men that you would ever have met. He loved God. And when we started a, a visitation program shortly after I came to Freeway, he and Cookie were the first two people to ever, ever show up at visitation. In fact, they called on Dustin and Debbie. Uh, the first, uh, you know, the early on, went to their home. And they came and, and, and they, never, they never left. They just stayed. And I, I'll never forget the day that Cookie and LaCroix called me on the, on the phone and said, Pastor, we want to drop by your office and see you. They came. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And they came in the office and, and Cookie was a little emotional. And they began to tell me that they'd been at the doctor and that the doctor was concerned about some things and that they ran some tests and they confirmed a diagnosis of leukemia. So for the next four years, LaCroix battled that leukemia. And there were times our hopes were raised and dashed and raised and dashed. And they tried a, a bone marrow transplant that was a failed effort. But I remember one day sitting in the Macaulay Medical Building next door to St. Joseph's Hospital in an infusion room with Cookie and LaCroix. And and uh, he said to me, Pastor, if I beat this, it's a win. You spend more time with my family. But if, but if this takes my life, it's still a win. I'm in a win-win situation. Because to die is gain. Then I get to be with my Savior. For the next four years, I heard him say that many, many times. Perhaps a hundred or more times. I remember driving once a week down to Tucson and sitting with he and Cookie when they were down there at the University Medical Center and they were trying different treatments on him and, and for almost a six-month period of time he was in the hospital there in Tucson. 
And he would say, Pastor, I'm in a win-win. The doctors and nurses would come in and they would say, how are you doing? He said, I don't feel so good. Listen, I'm, I'm happy because I'm in a win-win situation. If leukemia takes my life, I get to go see Jesus. And, uh, and I'm on the winning side. And listen, there were people that came in that room that didn't understand what it was that he had. But they knew that he had something that they needed. And, uh, and, and dozens and dozens of times, Cookie and LaCroix over the years had the opportunity to tell doctors and nurses and, and uh, people that cleaned the room and, and uh, people that came to visit the, the source of their hope, their patient waiting on the Lord. And while they were waiting in a dark time of their life, they were witnesses for the Lord and they knew that one day, come what may, they were on the winning side because they had the hope of the gospel in their hearts. And my friends, this world is living in a difficult and a dark day as you are. And my friends, they need the hope that only the gospel can give. They need to know that they might feel like everything is a losing effort, but they're on the winning side if they have the hope of the gospel in their heart. And the sad thing is that there are many people that we know who are going through life emptied of hope. And we may be the only one that can tell them. And God wants us to preach the gospel. You say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm not a preacher. No, but neither were these people. You know how long Paul taught them? Three, three and a half weeks. That's it. They were carpenters and fishermen and farmers and tent makers and, and craftsmen and tradesmen and homemakers and mothers and wives and fathers and sons and daughters and they never had an ordination certificate or went off to school or watched a seminar on the internet you know what they did they believed god what they saw paul do they decided that's what they were going to do god confirmed it in their heart and they knew they needed that power with god and they began to tell everybody until everyone in asia minor and throughout the region of Macedonia that had the opportunity to hear the Gospel. My friends, listen. I don't want to go to heaven without having given everybody in this area the opportunity to hear the Gospel. This area of Freeway Park, it's, it's not very big. We've knocked on every door here at least once a year, sometimes twice a year for almost 18 years. But, you know, it seems like every time we go through the neighborhood, there are people that have moved out and others that have moved in. We never run out of folks that need to hear the gospel all the way from, from Dunlap to, to Northern and uh, 23rd Avenue to the freeway, Freeway Park. It, it, it just needs the gospel. There's thousands of people that live in that, that quadrant of the city, folks. I want Freeway Park and Phoenix, Arizona to be the hardest place in the world to go to hell from because Freeway Baptist Church is here. And that there are soul winners traversing this town telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Would to God that would be us. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time that we have had to study your word. 
Lord, I pray that more than reaching our ears, that it would impact our hearts. And Lord, yea, change the way that we choose to lead our lives. God, help us to consider the power of the gospel to transform a life. And may we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for a moment. Perhaps there's someone seated here today that would say, Pastor Mark, I've listened to the message and really I'm not certain that if I died right now that I'd go to heaven to be with the Lord. I like to be sure, I'm just not sure. If that's you, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'd like to just remember you in a moment of prayer. And I'll not call you out. I'd never do that. But if there's someone seated here today that would say, Pastor Mark, I'm not sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. You wouldn't mind me praying for you. I wonder if you'd just slip your hand up while no one is looking except me. Just put it up and right back down. I'll see where you are and pray for you. Is there one like that? Pastor, pray for me. And maybe there's one in the room that would say, Pastor, I'm... I'm sure I'm saved, but I I know so many people that I love and care for that don't have that same hope. Pray for me that I would carry the gospel to them, that I would be the light in their darkened world. Pray for me. Here's my hand. Is there someone? God bless you and you and you. God bless you and you. Amen. Amen. God is putting someone on my heart at this very moment and impressing that that I need to pick up a phone, I need to make a call, I need to take a drive. Maybe He's doing that with you. God, help us to be obedient. Lord, how I thank You for these sweet people. Bless them. Lord, help us to remember the truth of this passage long after the service is over. Lord, I pray that You would Continue to allow Freeway to be a beacon of light for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this darkened world. Lord, how we need You. Use us, we pray. In the lovely name of Jesus, Amen.